Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Swing it and lines the deep left field. It is gone! This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 150. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we'll talk about Tristan McKenzie, just everything about Tristan McKenzie. Talk about Nolan Jones and the potential of him maybe eventually playing with the Indians instead of sitting across the street watching Tristan McKenzie pitch. Talk about an important stretch of games coming up for the Indians, and of course, we'll answer your question. Joining me for all that and more is another Mr. Merritt Rothing. Merritt, how are you doing? I'm very well, Matthew. Thank you for having me once again on this podcast we do together. Are you, are you just my special guest that just never leaves? You're just a repeating Basically, yeah. <laughs> special yeah, yeah. guest, yeah. <laughs> Who are you again? I don't, I don't know. We have a special guest today. It's uh, Merritt Rolfing. Hey, well, thanks for thinking. Hey, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> you may have recognized his name. He's been here. Let me check every single episode. He's one of our better okay. hosts, well, our better guests. Uh, he's here from time to time. Uh, he was able to make it again this week. So welcome back. We can't count the leave. He just keeps coming. Please, back. please, please help us call the cops or something. He took our, <laughs> he took our phones. <laughs> we keep starting the Zencast and he just pops up every time. We can't get him out. I don't know how to moderate this. Anyway, yeah. Um, there's been some baseball. There's uh, arguably one of the most exciting debuts in a while happened. Tristan McKenzie. Also a bunch of just absolute garbage happened with the offense. Um, but we'll start with, of course, the most important thing of, of what to talk about. Let's get it. When I find the button. Meatballs. Meatballs, man. It's time to talk about some interesting things that happened over the last week. Serve up some meatballs and some little statistical tidbits. I'll let you go first with yours this week. So what do you got for us, Mary? James Karinchak yes. is what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Whew, what a psychopath. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the human meatball, as it were. I know that he's had some questionable uh, <laughs> comments on Twitter, but, you know, whatever. Uh, on the field, he's a delight. Um, and just a couple of thoughts here. He was absolutely once again lights out this whole past week. This last we talked, I think he pitched something like eight innings or four innings, five innings, something like that. Struck out nine. Been a lot of run, you know that that old chestnut. Uh, according to uh, Statcast, now he is in the one hundredth percentile in expected ERA, expected batting average, expected slugging, uh, expected or and in strikeout percentage uh, that is literally the best in baseball and then merely 99th percentile in uh, expected weighted on base average uh, what else barrel percentage he's 90th percentile whiff rate 97th percentile he's so goddamn good um and it's a total blast to see and what what do we think of when we think of james karen matt besides the you know the madness fastball, i was just say right? being psychotic but yeah the fastball yeah, and the curveball the fastball yeah. right the one two yeah he is actually however he is ever so close to doing something that since 2002 
only 19 pitchers that I could count. 19 relief pitchers, because I just assume, I didn't even look at starters. I just assumed they didn't do it. Um, the Indians have had 196 different relief pitchers since 2002 when we started uh, tracking pitches with um, whatever that was, pitch tracks or something like that, um, so we could actually know what they're throwing. Uh, 196 pitchers, only 19 of them have thrown less than 50% fastballs. It includes with such names as uh, Rafael Perez literally every year of his career, um, Andrew Miller in 2017, Cam Hill this year, Matt Miller, don't know who that is, but he pitched no 4 uh, Brad Hand last year threw a fastball 45.9% of the time. James Karinjak throws one of the best fastballs I've seen out of the Indians' bullpen I mean, probably since Andrew Miller, but before that, I'm not really sure. It's hard to tell. And he right now he's only throwing at 50.7% of the time um, because his curveball is, I mean, you know, we've heard time again, it's, it's basically an 80-grade curveball. It's the best curveball you could possibly have. Which I mean, I can get into the whole thing about how, according to its movement, it is actually suboptimal, but I disagree because I've seen it kill people. So that's what I wanted to mention was he is ever so close, one or two games even, from being a curveball first pitcher. For a guy who can throw a fastball – through a brick wall. Uh, I just think that's really neat. It shows, I don't know if it shows a level of um, maturity in terms of trusting not just the fastball or just the fact that he knows how good he is. I mean, I, I wouldn't call that maturity so much as some sort of, you know, cockiness or, no, you know, assuredness. So anyway, I just thought it was really neat. You know, again, 19 people have done it since uh, 20, um, 2002 and if you take out Rafael Perez, you're down to like 16 people. So yeah, I think part of it has to be that wonky ass delivery, right? The way that he goes like up over his over the top. That has to like be somehow hiding the curveball better than well. It's just it's or just makes it look just... weird as it's coming out that I'm used to. I don't know what it is. it's just such a weird delivery and it works so well because like you said, it's not. It's just such a same hard... movement. Yeah. Like it's not like the big looping curveball so much like um like when Zach Greinke throws one of those like 60 mile an hour curveballs or it's just kind of it's, it's borderline an Ephus pitch basically. Like this yeah. is, it seems like it's just coming in. Just it's just like you know they always describe it as falling off the table. Like literally, it just goes shoomp. Like it just grabs yeah. something in the air and just ru- and just runs straight towards the ground at like the fifty-seven foot mark or something like that. So I don't know what what makes it work. It works, and he throws it for strikes constantly, and he is you know incredible. Again, I think he has a chance to become the best, the Indians' best relief pitcher. At worst, the Indians' second best relief pitcher of the last decade. Um, and that's pretty pretty good because Andrew Miller was absolutely savage in 2016 and I think well. in longevity anyway, he's going to probably top Miller unless something definitely, tragic definitely. happens. But as long as he's as good as he looks and he does it for his old tenure in Cleveland, I mean, he's I mean, how far do you have to go back? He's one of the best Indians relievers in a long, long time if he's like, like this forever. But because that, that's the thing, like you, you, pre I mean pre Miller, basically you had the bullpen mafia, which were fine. Before that, it was oh. Uh, <laughs> you know that bullpen mafia man when you look back on it they weren't really like uh, no, they were not worth good. getting their own moniker over <laughs> no, no not at all i mean they seem like good, cool enough guys i guess but i yeah. mean i mean and then before that it was like the i i liked uh, rafael betancourt and rafael perez and joe baraski was an absolute excitement every moment he was on the mound <laughs> uh before that though you know, again like you, jose mesa was a great reliever um but it's just yeah, you, you have to go back quite a ways. And, you know, you, you hit a point where it's just relief pitchers at a certain point were no long, were not what they are today. Also, interestingly, you know, this is the first year ever across baseball we're seeing less, we're seeing a fastball less than 50% of the time out of the average pitcher's hand. Uh, I just thought that was interesting as well. And Karen Cech is, for a guy who throws something that is considerably not an average fastball, 
uh, is you know trending that way uh, very very quickly. So yeah. there you go, yeah. meatballs, meatball. baby. Um, so mine is just I wanted to use it as a an old tip of the cap, an old howdy do you to Jose Ramirez for not putting us through another <laughs> half season slump. Hopefully, because um, he got off to a really hot start. He was one of the few batters who looked great to start the season, and then of course over the last week or so he's been terrible. He was over twenty one at one point. Uh, in the middle of Saturday's game, and eventually did get a hit. He took a change up at the bottom of the zone and hit it for a weak single. It was only like 85 miles an hour, but whatever. He did it. He hit it. Um, he finally broke out of the slump. That followed a ground ball and a strikeout earlier in the game. Um, and then on Sunday, he got two more hits. So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm using my meatball to plead for Jose Ramirez to please don't be another slump. <laughs> I don't I don't want to have another half season of Jose bad. Um, but he's looked, he's looked good at the start of the season. He's looked at least good in the last couple of games. So maybe we're seeing him back now, but... It was just nice seeing him actually get a hit on a changeup, which he usually doesn't hit very well. Um, and just in general, he's look—he looks like a different sort of hitter this year. He's walking a ton more than he usually does. He's not—he's um, striking out a lot more too. But he's also—he's just—I don't know—he he looks like a different hitter this year. And if, if he can make it work and actually hit the baseball and hit changeups like he did um, to break out of that slump, that'll be nice. But just a quick note that Jose Ramirez is hitting the ball again after not doing it for so long because baseball is bad when Jose Ramirez is bad, especially with those dreadlocks. Um, he's, he needs those, he needs to be hitting and have his helmet flying off and having those majestic things flopping out of the air. So it's good to see Jose Ramirez hit. I mean, honestly, I was trying to, trying to find something to talk about with Jose Ramirez for my own meatball. I couldn't find one. Apparently he's not striking out all of that much in the grand scheme of things. If I'm understanding this correctly, his strikeout percentage is in the 71st percentile, according to, uh, StatCast and Baseball Savant, which means it's not, you know, not what it once was. He had a top five strikeout rate. Back in uh, top five percent strikeout rate back in like 2016, 2017, 2018, it was like you know ten or eleven percent. But he's striking out less than twenty percent. I think people just like striking out a, a, a tremendous amount more this year, like across the board that we haven't even even really noticed it. So I don't know. Um, yeah, that's, you're right. That's though, part of the is, thing about. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say. I mean, it, it is it is just nice to see him hitting, like you said, because. Uh, they have like, yeah, the average strike league average strikeout right now is 23.4% uh, compared to last year when it was, I don't know, lower than that 21 points. So it's gone up like three points. Um, so he's, his trending up is in the same you know vein as everyone else. Cause you know, people are just throwing more relief and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think he's still himself within the construct of the league in terms of the strikeouts and the whiffs Cause he still makes a tremendous amount of contact. Uh, he's just not hitting the ball as hard as I think he used to quite as often he's also not whiffing a ton either it's not like he's it is lower than before but like his his strikeout rate is a lot worse than his whiff rate is and part of that he's just he's just watching more pitches in general like his his swing rate in the zone is lower than it ever has been which is kind of interesting that could also be just part of the fact that it's a weird season and he didn't, didn't get to see a lot of pitching so he's just watching more pitches early on but um but you mentioned his walking too i mean it's second yeah. highest rate of his entire career 13.2 percent, which is you know borderline an elite number um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's so, just yeah. yeah, he's just seeing more pitches every every bat. He's turning he's, into another I'm not against different type of batter. He's, he's, just, he's like, well, yeah. I've already he just done morphs Michael, every year. Yeah, I've done Michael Brantley already. That was boring, <laughs> and then I turned into I don't know, I guess a tiny Jim Tomey for a year or something like that. Just pulling yeah, that is, that is, he does do that, doesn't he? He I forgot yeah. he was exactly Michael Brantley for a year. Literally, like, it, he it. 2016 <laughs> he was literally Michael Brantley for stat line. Uh, and then this year, he's just like, I want to be Carlos Santana now. I'm going to walk all the time. We're like, just pick one, man. You're driving us mad. Come on. Yeah, I wonder how conscious that is. I, I think part of it is it just he's just adjusting to himself as he 
stays in the league more, but it's cool. Yeah, he was. That's a really good trajectory there too. You got it's it's Brantley Tomey into Carlos Santana is basically what he's doing. He's easing his way through the various <laughs> the various <Yeah>. Indian <laughs> uh, hitters we've all loved, known and loved through the years. Uh, and I'm okay yeah. with that. You know what? As long as it keeps him viable and an impactful offensive player, which he has been so far. So yeah, there you go. Um, so somebody who doesn't quite, I, I don't know if he compares to anybody, it's just because of, he's such a unique um, physical, just to look at the kid, uh, Tristan McKenzie, uh, he made his debut on Sunday, or on Saturday uh, against the Tigers. He looked great, 10 strikeouts, um, the first Indians rookie to do that in the debut since Louis Tiant, um, since like 1960, so he's in his rare company, he looked great from the start pretty much. Um, I think a better team might have ended up hitting him a little harder than Tigers did, I saw there was... A few changeups that were left over the, although part of that is just maybe, I mean, between the fact that he's hitting 95, 96 now with his extension, who knows how fast it actually looks to the batters and they're just whiffing on it. But um, there were a couple fastballs that weren't located well. That's his biggest, his biggest strength is locating that fastball. So if he can work up to that, he's going to look even better. But uh, we saw some of the curveball. We saw the changeup and slider that he's been working on. Um, the changeup once was located pretty bad and got crushed by his old teammate, Willie Castro. And one of the other things I like that we saw from him is um, his quote unquote rising fastball. It's the, you know, the mythical thing that looks like instead of following gravity, the balls just go up when they're thrown. Um, and part of that is he has such a, a, a high release point because of how tall he is and how long his arms are. And he, he's, he's put such a big spin rate on his fastball that um, you could see it in some of the, the pitching ninja gifts. It looks like his fastball just goes, it's either a dart or it looks like it goes up, which is ridiculous. But yeah, so I would, were you impressed by, I would assume you're impressed by McKenzie's debut. It was horrible. Unimpressed. <laughs> oh, um, what's this garbage? Man, that was a lot of fun. Because um, yeah. I, I know we've talked about it a few times where it's just the Indians pull these, guys, these pitchers out of their ass time and time again. I mean, they've had three of them in the rotation at one point this year. Uh, even Mike Clevenger, to a degree, was a guy who was just like out of nowhere. You know, I, I mean, obviously before them, it was... Um, Corey Kluber, I think, is the perfect example of the most out-of-your-ass pulling of an ace you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, McKenzie was supposed to be good, is the thing. Um, wasn't he a first-round pick? Yeah, he was a compensatory pick, so he was like Compens- Okay, pick. so he, yeah. was, he was like a one-and-a-half... It's still it's technically a first-rounder, yeah, but it was very, yeah, whatever, whatever. Well, but either way, like, he... <laughs> And I, I, I've talked about this bad. I'm not great at paying attention to prospects. I just... I don't... I don't have the mental capacity to pay attention to all that. I, I know of who is good. I, I you know, I, I, I got caught out the other night. I was watching, you know, the, I was watching Joe Adele's debut uh, for the angels like a week or so ago. And I was like, Oh, who's this guy? Number two overall prospect in baseball. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. He seems pretty good. <laughs> he might be all but, right. Yeah. But you know, again, this is a guy who I've been paying attention to since he was drafted in 2015, wondering about when he's going to turn up, uh, seeing these guys, uh, drafted after him, showing up before him, who uh, were much less heralded, uh, much less "quote unquote" projectable, just guys who were whoever's and they, who turned into Shane Bieber and, and you know Aaron Sabale and, and on and on and on. Uh, McKenzie was supposed to be good, and then he was way better than I thought he was going to be. I tweeted about it yesterday. I just he's hitting ninety six at the bottom of the zone. It's something we haven't really seen. I mean, since Danny Salazar technically, but I don't think Danny Salazar was pounding the bottom of the zone quite as easily and was in the zone. Maybe I'm just misremembering when Danny Salazar was truly at his best, which was, you know, a short period of time, but it was truly amazing. Uh, I loved everything I saw out of Tristan McKenzie. His curveball had a wonderful bite. His changeup had incredible fade. His slider, whatever. I wish he wouldn't throw it quite so much. Uh, it seemed fine. 
It seemed fine. He's got to get guess. something for a third pitch because he has the fastball, curveball. The changeup looked pretty good a couple times, and the slider yeah, was. I mean, he only threw what seven of them, so it wasn't like he was like you know like. like but no, I mean, goddamn man. I mean, if the thing is, and you mentioned it before, just with his extension and everything like that, he is, and if he can maintain this level of control and command of the pitches, he might be be like the pinnacle of of the Indians' pitching development that we've seen in the last several years because he has. In addition to all the that kind of makeup stuff, not make, it's not makeup stuff. It's like like the the repeatable delivery, all the things that make uh, Shane Bieber so good. He also has arms that are like fucking Stretch Armstrong, so he just has that, that that weird perceived velocity thing going on where it just it looks like it's coming at you from fifty feet away, and it's on you before you can even blink. So I just I'll never forget it was cr- the pitcher for the Royals, right? Tall, gangly, white guy. Yeah, he was like six seven or six eight. He's yeah, big, exactly. Who only threw like eighty nine, but like because he was just this big long mess of a person, it popped up on you, and like that was the reason that like the Royals chased after him, for, and that, it, that's why he helped them win a World Series in twenty fifteen because he was just so it was so hard to understand what's coming at you because it looks like it's eighty nine, but it was coming at you, like, and to you it, it appeared ninety five. You know, so if he's throwing ninety six on the gun, does it seem like it's a hundred? Like, does it seem like it's 105 to or whatever? So, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything. I, mean, I, I know that there's various sites who can calculate this thing for you, but that's just one of those things where when you're in the box, you can't tell, right? I, between the between, between the spin rate and between the, this and that and other thing, and then just, just the physical gifts that he has that make him such an impactful pitcher, just being up on the mound. Because he's bigger than everyone in terms of length. Like, he's taller than everyone else in, in, in the rotation. He's longer than – it's just goddamn – his arms are just huge. Yeah, Ashley Whitgren, um, Nick Whitgren's wife, posted a, a series of pictures with him. Uh, there's one where they measured out his arms. There's one where he was standing in a regular doorway, touching the floor and touching the top of the doorway. Like, if you can imagine, that, he's turned sideways. And his yeah, arms he's are like that a long, seven so and a half foot wingspan or something like that. Yeah, like, it's it's got to be at least like eighty inches. At like least, that's just crazy. And so, yeah. like that's why I mean, what I mean when I just, just seeing the way he pitched, the way he seemed very composed out there. Again, you mentioned it. He, like pitching against you know the Astros or something like that, they don't you know they're not a great offensive team. But I also like that it. same lineup just hit Cookie today, so I mean exactly. So yeah, that's the possible. thing. I mean, I mean the night before they'd hung ten runs, and and then on Sunday, yeah, they scored another seven or eight or whatever it was. Um, so it's not like they weren't. You know, it's not like they're terrible. Um, I'd like to see him get the start on what would it be Wednesday? I think because um, they're talking about him getting another start. I'd prefer. At this point, I just, you know, the, the, the games matter so much. I don't think it's a smart move to start Pluko. Uh, I'd prefer to see McKenzie because, you know. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Pluk or Mackenzie gets one guaranteed. Um, Sandy already said, but they're deciding who's going to get the other one, whether it's Pluko or somebody else. I would assume the the gap there is what they de- whether they decide to reinstate Plezak or Clevenger, or whoever, or not reinstate at this point, but bring it back up. Um, and it, it's almost um, I know it's repetitive at this point, but Mackenzie's tunneling was just ridiculous in that game too. Like um, another pitching ninja gif was showing the difference between his fastball and curveball, and it is 
uh, it's by far like the closest I've ever seen to the mound before they split. And the pitches just look like one ball. And then there's suddenly two on like several feet away on the plate. And I think um, a few weeks ago, I tried to remember somebody's name who was the, the, the uh, pitching coordinator in the minor. It was Ruben Niebla who was, um, he was the minor league pitching coordinator and now he's the assistant pitching coach, which I don't think is a coincidence that he was um, overseeing the minors when all these, like you mentioned, these just random pitches were coming up and being so good. Like Mike Clevenger was traded for a reliever. Corey Kluber was, I don't even know anymore, but it was just these guys they just got and turned into these superstars. And I would, I would assume Ruben had a big part of that. And now he's the assistant pitching coach and we're seeing these guys come up and they're pitching like Aaron Savali is well above what we thought he would be. Shane Bieber is well above what we thought he would be. I think Ruben deserves a ton of credit for helping these guys first when they're developing and now when they're in the majors. Um, Cause every pitcher just looks so prepared when they come out. I mean, Tristan McKenzie, he's 23 years old. He's, I mean, he, he he's gotta be nervous. He's, but he didn't look at it at all. He just looked like he was prepared. He knew what to pitch. Um, all I these guys Ruben are so young. Like, like we forget how young yeah. Shane Bieber's like 23, 24. And like, all these guys are like really wait, and they they just there's a level of composure and just you know oh incidentally you just said some relievers is what brought back uh, from Mike Clevenger it was Vinny it was Vinny Pastano come on now. um I, you made me have to look up who where uh, <laughs> I knew it was Vinny Pastano but I mean I'm just saying it's a reliever like they got yeah. a potential Cy Young candidate for a reliever I don't care who it is it's well, it was Ryan uh, I love Vinny Pastano back, but uh, it's still. Here it is, uh, right on the weekend. <laughs> Corey Kluber. So, Corey Kluber, so, you know. Um, yeah. no, I think uh, part of the stoicism is is some of it's like Savali is just the way he is. He's the most boring human being in the world. But... Damn, it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's another one of those. Um, yeah, part is just, just so prepared. Justin McKenzie, I mean, he's he's an excitable kid by the scenes, but he's uh, I didn't see a single person who wished anything but the best of luck. And, like, people came out of nowhere just saying they've they've interacted with him and it's such a great kid he is. And it was, it was cool that he's getting his debut, but it's just all everybody's just so prepared it's fun to watch oh exactly and uh, and like it's just i don't know and again it, it's it, we don't know if we should be overreacting or underreacting or properly reacting because again it was still just the tigers and they're really bad offensively man um but they still did hit other major league pitchers they've done it a few times this year and they're not you know they've still won 10 games now 11 games after today so you know they're not it's not cute going up against the worst offense in in, in baseball history it wasn't like the 20 10 or 2011 Astros or something like that. It was a team who's has some, you know, he, his first strikeout was Miguel Cabrera. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is the shadow of his former self, but I'm the only, and I'm not even saying I'm worried about this, but it's just all his strikeouts, I think came on his fastball, which is like, you know, it'd be nice to see his secondary stuff, get the job done, but he just, he threw a lot of them. So he threw him like, threw like 60% of the time. So, you know, it's, yeah, it was like 90 or it was nine out of 10 were strikeouts on the fastball, which I mean, part of it, he's just, yeah, that's just a strength. He's, he um, locates it so well. Like, we knew, like, coming out, he was going to be able to locate that. He'd have a big curveball. And the biggest things for as far as that I was looking for anyway to see if we can, how overreacting we can be is if he could get velocity, which, good Lord, he did. It was at least 96. Uh, it dipped a little bit. So, I mean, there was there was some adrenaline there. At the beginning, it was up, like, almost 97. And at the end, it was almost 97. Um, so, I think, realistically, he's more like 94, 95, which is still amazing considering his extension. Uh, yeah, but average, that, and yeah then, average 90, 94 and a half. Minimum was 92 and a, and a quarter yeah. or whatever. So that's just, yeah, I that, think, I think seeing guy, I don't know. I know I'm already overreacting and I know it's going to take a year or two for him to really f- figure it out as it were. No, retire his jersey right now. But, you know, just because, <laughs> and I'm just like, honestly, I'm just, I'm thinking back to Shane Bieber. Um, McKenzie has way more room for error because he is bigger, throws harder, 
and he has the physical gifts that that purely that Shane Bieber does not. Um, But he's not going to be the guy who has five, six different pitches that can all strike you out. Guy yet he the thing but the thing is he can get there and the Indians have you mentioned already with the with Ruben Yebel guy they have a structure around him it it goes beyond him like you know we all we all talk about Mickey Callaway being the guy unlocking all of this he left and it kept on happening if anything it got it got even better Um, I I think we were just wrong about Mickey Callaway doing much of anything especially seeing him on the Mets I think think we overvalued him uh, (laughs) well and that's the thing like this is not any one man right. Like, it helps to have a consistent voice for a generation of pitchers or what have you. But it's it's organizational. Their ability to continue to do this is truly amazing. And so they can lose one or two people, but as long as they continue to have an organizational drive to find and develop a certain type of pitcher that they know is going to be effective, they're going to keep on doing it. And I, I don't see it. You know, I mean, people are like, oh, well, you know, they're going to, they're going to, it's all going to, I saw someone comment on Twitter today that like, it's all going to fall apart for them because they, they won't be able to have any offense. And so then they're going to lose out on a generation of pitchers. And like to this point, Matt, I have no problem saying this is going to continue. I mean, it probably won't, but I don't. I don't see any reason why organizationally they can't continue to produce this kind of pitching. I could have said that back in the early to mid nineties, obviously with the bats. Uh, it is harder to find a bat. Um, I am firm in believing that it's harder to develop a hitter than it is a pitcher. Uh, we've been over this several times, I know, but I think the Indians have figured something out here, at least something. And then they can start turning this and other things that, like they've tried, like they have so far with Reyes and others. So, you know, yeah, I, I think if it's, you're good at, if you're good at the most important thing in the game, you can turn that into the other parts of the game. So, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I think this is probably the end of like if, if there's more pitchers that come out and are this good, they're going to be bigger surprises than we've seen. I think Tristan McKenzie was pretty much the end of. I mean, it was that 2015 2016 area where they drafted. I mean, it was Plezak, Savali, and Bieber, and then McKenzie was in 2015. I think at this point it'll be like. Um, if Logan Allen turns into something great or Scott Moss, they can develop him. Um, uh, there's, I don't think there's anybody coming up really, unless they're just more big surprises, which at this point, I mean, there's no reason to doubt him anymore. <laughs> like you, you can believe that they're going to make anybody into a great starting pitcher. That's, um, well, I mean, you know what the, though? Like what, l- let me ask you this. And like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you're right or wrong or, or, or if I'm overreacting, you're underreacting. Like who's to say that Tanner Burns won't turn into something like, we're talking about guys who like, the fact of the matter is, what made 2015-2016 so special? They drafted a bunch of guys from different parts of the country who had never met each other, who had one, a couple of things, a couple of similar attributes, I suppose, but who no one had ever imagined, except for McKen- in McKenzie's case, had ever projected them as being anything more than maybe a, a good back-end starter. And to be honest with you, even watching Shane Bieber, I thought he'd be a pretty good, like a number three kind of a guy. And I thought he'd be better than people people were giving credit for because his control was so absurd even coming in. Uh, same thing with, I don't know, I'm, I'm waffling on Savali lately, but just because he leaves the ball up so much. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm still on him. So we'll figure that one out. But uh, like I said, like, there's all these, I'm just going through there. Like, will Louis Oviedo be good? I don't know. Uh, I, just, I just clicked on the guy before. Um no, not him. Daniel Espino. He throws 97 miles an hour. He might just be a reliever. I don't know. Maybe he won't be. Maybe they'll figure out how to fix his long arm action. But yeah, I don't know. You know, like the, the, yeah, the I feel like you can throw a dart at some point and it'll get somebody who's probably going to develop. <laughs> like they, Which is, they keep on doing yeah. it. So why should I believe that they that like? Well, that's it. We got these three guys. These four guys. That, that's we we can't go any further than this. We we don't know anything else. We we, we blew it all on these guys. So. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting that also they they weren't able to do it with Adam Plutko because he's also a guy that has been here. He was through the system with Ruben. He's he's with him in the majors now. Whatever system they have, Plutko has gone through all of it, presumably, and it didn't work out for him. So I don't know. There's something obviously you can't do it with every single pitcher, but but also like Julian Merriweather, he just debuted for the the Blue Jays finally, and I think he had a pretty good outing. He was the one the Indians traded for Josh Donaldson, uh, Cleveland Indians legend Josh Donaldson, a couple years ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. But Merriweather was another one where I think if he stayed with the Indians, we'd be seeing another. Um, if he didn't get banned for steroids, he'd be in the majors now and probably another great starting pitcher for the Indians. It's just an endless stream. I think we're going to look back at the streak of um, and pitchers. You go all the way back to when Corey Kluber debuted and got his first Cy Young. Like This streak of pitchers is ridiculous, and it's going to be one of those things that it, it's just going to be historic how good they've been over this period of time. And looking at the starting pitching now, it's almost like we can look back at um, – Bauer, Carrasco, and Kluber, and, and just laugh at ourselves. You thought they were good. You didn't have Bieber, <laughs> Clevenger, Plezak, Savali, Tristan McKenzie. Like, those, that was nothing. Three ace pitchers, that's all you had? <laughs> now you have, like, seven. Like I, um, I, I'm just, I'm, again, I'm on the India's top prospects thing. I just clicked on one guy who was, like, six foot six. They're like, he creates an incredible angle. Sam, Sam Henches. Like, I don't know, his control. So, so it's, like, his six foot eight frame and high three-quarter delivery creates steep downhill plane. I was like, who's this gigantic man? Let's get him going. More huge pitchers. <laughs> he's obviously another Cy Young candidate in a couple of years, so who knows? Let's pop him out. <laughs> Screw it. You know, he's supposed to yeah. debut next year. I mean, they're going to have to trade someone off for a bat soon, so there you go. Keep him, keep him moving. Yeah, I, I still think – I will come to that later, but I don't think I'm going to trade one of the young guys. But um, So another thing about that his game was fun was uh, the fact that obviously he couldn't be there in person. Nobody could, technically, but – uh, Nolan Jones, another top prospect who's been um, with McKenzie in, in Eastlake at the alternate training site. He was he watched the game from across the street up in the parking garage, and the, the Indians managed to get a picture of him just sitting up there watching. I thought that was cool. Um, like like I said, everybody was so excited for McKenzie, including, I would assume, all of the Eastlake teammates down there. And Nolan Jones, who, good Lord, I hope is here eventually. That's, I mean, that that's the next thing to come to here is the fact that the offense has been so bad, and Nolan Jones... I mean, obviously, we haven't seen him this year, but just like McKenzie, we haven't. But uh, Jones has been just incredible at every level. I don't know how much more you can possibly wait before you just give him a shot. <laughs> I mean, they did it with Daniel Johnson. It didn't work out um, so far. I, I still wish they would give him more of a shot. But I think Nolan Jones, at some point, if he's he's a third baseman, just put him at DH. Who cares? Cesar Hernandez is really good, so you can keep him that second, and you don't want to move Jose yet. But it, it's obvious Nolan Jones is going to be the third baseman eventually, and Jose will be second. So just let him DH, put Fran Mill in the outfield, um, have a terrible outfield. I don't even care. Hit. <laughs> you have great pitchers. You don't need a, an outstanding outfield, I don't think. You can survive with Fran Mill and Domingo and just pray to God whoever's in center field can run really fast and just hit the ball because that's what you need now more than anything. I think if – I would be surprised if we don't see Nolan Jones at some point this year, especially if this continues the way it is just because they need to hit. <laughs> they have these legendary pitchers. That they're like you said they they can do the best part of the hardest part of the game really well, but they also need to hit the damn ball. And I think Nolan Jones, I mean, if you look at his minor league numbers, he's never struggled at any single level. Oh no, he's got he, stupid numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we constantly. would have seen him in AAA this year finally, and he probably would have debuted. But um, I, I want him to come up at this point, unless something terrible has gone wrong and he's like and he just can't hit anything right now and he he falls over on his way to first base every time and nobody can figure out why. I, I want him up and on the Indians as soon as possible. I mean, it's guys like those two that I think really they were going, they were bound to suffer from uh, this whole stupid thing because they don't have that first couple of months to figure it out in AAA to you know to make the next big leap. I mean, that's you know AAA isn't always the hardest. Divi- I mean, it, it depends on you know various teams. Like it's 
it's supposed to be harder, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just used like a rehab league. Yeah, but usually uh, it's like double A is the hardest, and, and he crushed Right, it. no, exactly, yeah. So I, it's like, it's just, it was going to be something, it was going to be guys like this who were going to suffer the most because they couldn't get that final polish, I guess. I mean, whether or not that was really a, a thing that was going to happen, but, I mean, again, he's always hit. Um, I don't, he's 22 now, so, like, it's getting to a point where he should probably be debuting soon. Uh, and, yeah, you're right, I, I guess, playing with DH and just get him some at-bats, but, like you mentioned with, with Johnson, like these guys need more than just a few at bats a week. They need they need to be able to get in the groove and figure it out and get comfortable. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, we, we saw them kind of try with Bobby Bradley, but even that didn't feel like they gave it the, the 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 real try. So I don't know. The Indians being stuck in this constant situation where they're kind of pseudo contending constantly just because of that pitching. It's like it's it's almost like you get antsy when when young prospects don't perform immediately, like guys like Lindor did, or uh, I guess I mean. Even uh, Ray or Ramirez didn't really perform immediately, and he wasn't a big prospect anyway. So I, again, I'd love to yeah, see him a, up. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if they weren't always, if the pitching staff wasn't always carrying them to the expectations that they need to win, like would these guys have played long enough to get into a groove and actually, like, would that's Bobby Bradley like, be hitting seven thousand home runs right now? Would like that's the thing. Like, like their floor at this point is like eighty-seven wins. Like they just they can't do worse than that because they're always only allowing like three or four runs a game. Yeah, and but then there's always this are. concern that they have to have these veteran guys who can fill the gap because you, you don't want to let the prospects develop and waste your pitching staff or whatever, but let the damn guys hit. Yeah, no, so exactly. So, like, I don't know. Again, I think we saw a decent amount of someone like uh, Bobby Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> he loved to swing the bat. Again, like Jones walks constantly. He strikes out. He struck a lot, a lot last year, too. I think he struck out like 200 times or something like that. Hey, that might be. Uh, 148 times last year, so that's a lot of strikeouts for even for uh, between single and double A. Yeah. But even with that, like we we don't care about strikeouts anymore. Like the fact of the matter is, like you go look at like Lewis Roberts' numbers. His, his strikeout rates are rate is absurd. Um, uh, what's his name over in the Padres? Uh, God damn, how can I not remember his name? Lewis Roberts' name. For, Fuck. Uh, is he going to Fernando Tatis? Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, <laughs> how he dare you? Out, he strikes out constantly, so um, I should remember because all these all these White Sox people I follow on Twitter for whatever reason they're pissed still about the James Shields trade. So um, I don't know. Like, do we care about it anymore? I don't think so. Maybe we're just gonna have to wait another year because by another year, what like forty games? Uh, because I'd like the thing is I'd like it if they would resign um, Cesar Hernandez. I thought I think he's been a true delight at second base. He's been fantastic in every way, in every phase of the game. Um, just a total change of pace from Jason Kipnis. But if it has to be done, I I, I think I prefer yeah the the Ramirez to second and then Jones to third, uh, just full time and just just stick with it. You know what I mean? Like the offense has been the toilet for two years anyway. Just stick with it. Who cares? <laughs> it's not like, like you're going to get worse. Just yeah, <laughs> give somebody I, else a shot. I mean, it's I mean, put him there. Put him in left field. I don't know because Domingo Santana is only here for a year anyway. So maybe both those guys are just kind of. Uh, papering it over until a couple of these guys they think are ready to go. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, MLB.com suggests that four or five of these guys are MLB ready. George Valera apparently is MLB ready. So I don't know if they're going to put him in there. He's an outfielder. They're all outfielders. God damn. They're all just speedy outfielders. They consider George Valera MLB ready already? Well, according to this, he's... No, I don't know. I don't know. Apparently it says level MLB. So maybe they just... That means he's played... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. Oh, everybody's MLB now because they're on the 40-man roster. Oh, right. So everybody's talking. Yeah, I was going to say, George Lair's like 19 and they just shoot him up there. bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was tricked, tricked again by by different <laughs> columns. I don't get why they have to do that. I get technically they're MLB, but shut up, they're you know where they are, right? <laughs> just well, put them where they're supposed to be. But you know, again, even guys like Yu Chang, like, I th- I think he deserves more time. I just I don't you know. I mean, uh, who is it over at um, Everybody Hates Cleveland? You know, again, let let DJ spin, let him play, just get him out there every single day. Who cares? Like, uh, I I feel the same way about uh, Bradley Zimmer, like. That motherfucker has put so much work into overhauling his entire self. Like, at I don't this know if point, I feel that way about Bradley Zimmer anymore. I mean, I you know whatever. I I I, I think <laughs> it's too hard to make a firm decision on him because he's played like nine games the last three years between injury and just not getting a chance to consistently play. And you're right. Eventually, like the the talent will out. You know, it's it, it worked with Jose Ramirez. He he hit a point where it's. I mean, it, obviously, what's his name got hurt. Uh, Brantley, so they just had to stuff someone in there, and it turned out it was just Michael Brantley, tiny. But talent will out itself eventually. It's just, it's. I was watching the Rays today, and Yandy Diaz was up, and I was just getting mad for a few minutes. I was like, ah, so damn, damn, damn. <laughs> and he just, he had a beautiful opposite field single that advanced the guy from first. And then I was like, fuck. <laughs> Probably hit it 110 miles an hour. And then I looked at his stats. I was like, god damn, dude. Like, he's. Got he's like walking one, more than he strikes out, Merritt. I hate like it. <laughs> he, he's, he's got like a 118 on OPS plus. Like he would be the second best hitter on the Indians at worst right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, damn. And we he, we saw it the whole time. So uh, I don't know. Was it a mistake? Like, I don't know. I, I've, lost, I've lost my train of thought because Yanni Diaz pissed me off again. He didn't. <laughs> well, I was actually off. looking up because um, I think if if there is anything against Nolan Jones is that these guys that usually have that rely on their eye at the plate as their biggest thing coming up. It, it doesn't always translate to the major. So I wanted to look at Yandy Diaz, but then it translated for Yandy Diaz. <laughs> Cause that was one of the biggest things with him is that he just walked a ton. Um, and usually if you only do that in the minors, it, it isn't always great. But, but with Yandy, we found out that he just had a bad launching. It was actually hitting the shit out of the ball in the minors, but we just couldn't measure it. But I mean, we don't know that with Nolan Jones, I'd assume the Indians do with whatever measurements they have, but um but yeah, I don't know. Like, just walking doesn't always translate well, and the fact that he strikes out a lot—that's of course. I mean, you could be Bobby Bradley and strike out too much when he comes up, but I but think I, Jones I still just want to has a, a better glove, I think, too, than Diaz did. That that was always the issue. Was uh, Diaz just would have a hard time sticking at third, and then it's it's hard to talk yourself into. I mean, I don't know why it's hard to talk yourself into this at this point because it doesn't matter uh, having a having a <laughs> having a DH who doesn't hit for a lot of power. Like, who cares? Like, he's on base. 40% of the time. So, um, you know, uh, long, long story short, you're right. I mean, at this point, it's it's hard. The, the way the, the offense is really craters, even having an opportunity to score runs after about, the, you know, the sixth guy in the lineup. And the fact that two of those six are going to be gone next year, there's no reason to think that Nolan Jones shouldn't be up in, 20, in 2021. 2020, 2020, 2020. <laughs> Sometime in there, yeah. Um... Yeah, and then um, so whether Nolan Jones is here or not, um, Let's coming up for the Indians. Stats for. <laughs> God no! <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> damn Indians. it! Damn it! He's playing third too. This is bullshit. <laughs> he doesn't want to do it though, Merritt. That's the problem. He doesn't want to play. He's a one thirty-two OPS plus. Come on, yeah, man! Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so um, looking at the wider view for the Indians uh, right now, they're eleven or seventeen and eleven, one point five game back of the Twins. I believe the White Sox just won, so the Indians are now in third place. Um, in the L Central, of course. Who cares? Everybody gets in. They're, they're going to get a playoff um, spot. <laughs> I think they're tied. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they, they, they switch places. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the White Sox on the tiebreaker. But um, 
But yeah, they they have a big set of games coming up. They play uh, the Royals twice, which who cares? That shouldn't be much of anything. But they play the Twins twice. They play the Cardinals and the Brewers. So it's not, I mean, it's a mix of unfamiliar teams and also the best team in your division. So I think this is, it's hard to say even in a short season like this, like any streak of games will define your season. But the next two weeks for the Indians is going to be, it's pretty huge. Like if they blow it against the Twins twice, it's going to be nearly impossible for them to win the division. If they just can't find a way to hit the Royals for some odd reason, it's going to be rough. But um, it'd be really nice for the Indians to just find something now and ride the pitching staff they have and um, hit a damn ball once in a while and actually get into the playoffs. I don't want to get, I don't want the pity spot, Merritt. I want the Indians to win the AL Central. I, I missed having all that last year. I missed the the hangover game. We didn't get to see one of those. That's always fun. Um, but yeah, the next couple of weeks, it's going to, if it doesn't decide the season, it's really going to shape um, how the last few weeks are going to feel, whether it's a, a rush when you're three games behind and you got to catch up to the Twins or if they're right there, even ahead of them. But um, but just coming up, the Indians have, have quite a stretch they've got to do over the next couple of weeks. No, 100%. I and mean, it's just, I'm not, at this point, I'm, I'm in no way worried about the pitching staff. I mean, between the starters, um, Plutko's probably going to get to start somewhere in there. I, I, it, it would be nice if they could have one of their really good pitchers who's in Eastlake come back, but what are you going to do? They were boneheads. So we can't do that. Um, but and even going to the bullpen, I mentioned Karen Jack before. I wrote about Phil Maton last week. He's been incredible. Uh, other guys have been fine too. Yeah, you know, the bullpen is great. It, it, the fact of the matter is that they they're, they're piecing it together, and they have guys who can do all the things that I've kind of dreamed about. Is you know throwing ninety five, ninety six, and um, being hard to hit, which is very nice. Uh, it's just the offense is so bad. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's nice to see. Uh, it looks like uh, Lindor might be starting to turn the corner. I know I wrote about him last week too. Just him being a victim of maybe of shifts and bad luck. Um, you know, Santana is doing. He continues to do what he does. Uh, he's not walking quite as much as he was last week of weeks, but I think he'll be fine and again. But again, it's after the top four. Really, it's it is really being hard. Top five, I guess. It's hard to find offense. Um, whether it's Santana, Domingo Santana, who's just so hit or miss, like in the most abject uh, term way of the words. Uh, it's just they need someone to start clicking to make that lineup anything even remotely impactful, you know, because like I'm not going to sit here and say that the Twins have bad pitching, but they I mean, I just I can't think Randy Dobnak is a, is a 178 ERA guy, you know, he only strikes out five guys at, per nine innings like. Yeah, but I mean, they also have Kenta and Jose Barrios. So it's not like they're. Right. No, completely I starved for pitching. But. I agree with you. I mean, and made is good and, and Barrios is, is pretty good, but. Like these are two guys who, in a in a in a in a head to head you know like a toe to toe pitchers duel, lose to the Indians. I think uh, Shane Bieber is a better pitcher than any of these people. I think that um, if he were able to come back, Mike Clevenger is better than almost all these pitchers. At that point, we're talking about a Randy Dobnak versus like Carlos Carrasco or whoever. You know what I mean? I, it's just the pitching staff, uh, like one to one lean so heavily in the Indians' favor that if they could hit anything at all, because how many runs did they even give up against the the Twins uh, earlier this year? It wasn't even all that many. Like, I know they lost the series, but I don't think they like, got they got like blown out. Did I think there was one blowout game? Maybe I'm gonna pull it up right now. 
Yeah, I don't remember. I, um, they just haven't allowed they, a whole lot of runs at all this season. They they, they, they were outscored four to ten. Ten to four, I guess, is how numbers work in, in sports, but still. Uh and they so and they let, you know, they're one and three against the twins, and they've given up ten runs over four games. Like that's two and a half runs a game, Matt. If they could figure one out one of the to, best offenses in baseball, yeah. Right, exactly. And I think most of those came in one game. Um the one that where Max Kepler hit hundred home runs, because that's what he does. Um but I don't know. It's just I don't not even no, yeah, the most they scored was four runs and that was the, the Clevenger game. So if they can like anything, anything, please God, anything. It's just Yeah, that, that is my that is my general thought process. I, I don't I don't think it's out of their own possibility that they could win all three of those series. Um but again, the offense has to do literally anything. I think it wasn't bad this weekend, uh, against the against the Tigers. They scored where are the numbers I need? I mean, Six, it was really bad on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really bad. On, yeah, they were um, good in the middle game, and that's about it. Yeah, they were good for part of the middle game. There was a, I think they didn't score for like five innings against the Tigers until Tristan McKenzie finally got the win. But uh, all right, Merritt. Uh, every Sunday, we ask everybody on Facebook, Twitter, Discord, the Let's Go Tribe, everywhere. If you have any questions for us, let us know. Um, we have a couple this week at <clears throat> at Nacho Helmet on Twitter. He asked, first of all, Matt, are you using the right mic? Yes, I tested it beforehand to make sure this time. So it doesn't sound like I'm halfway across the room while Merritt is silky smooth as always. Um, (laughs) Second question, if Tito's health issues persist, do you see the team officially naming Sandy Alomar Jr. as interim manager for the remainder of the season? Um, Oregon Buckeye from the Let's Go Tribe Discord also asked, what do you see the chances of Sandy taking over the rest of the season? So kind of the same question. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, Tito's out again. It's the same gastrointestinal issues that he's had all season long. I mean, at this point, it's concerning for Tito, first of all. Um, I mean, that's the most important thing, that he's not feeling good, and he, he came back and tried to manage through it. But, I mean, also as far as a very numbers on the field thing, like at some point this is disrupting that he can't stay and manage the team. That He's, he's here, he's not, he's here, he's not. Um, I, I don't know. Is it better for the team at some point for the Indians just to say, um, Tito, I know you want to come back, but just stay home and <laughs> stay near the toilet and stay at the hospital when you need to and don't um, – keep trying to come back and push yourself too hard. Cause I imagine it can't be good for you to be in a dugout when you're having these issues and, and all this pressure. But um, I don't know. It's, I don't think Sandy Alomar has been terrible by any means. If the Indians have to do it, I think it's fine as far as on the field. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, Alomar has been there longer than Tito has quite honestly. He's been there forever. Right? He's, been there, he's been there forever. Like, goddamn, He was there for the maniac years. I'm pretty sure he was there for, wasn't he there when Eric Wedge was the manager too? Uh, I think so. I remember. I, li- him... I like to imagine he was, I'm just going to assume he was. <laughs> just imagine. <laughs> Definitely just... maniac because he applied for the job when Tito. That's right. I'm, I'm just going to assume that he's going to, he's just been there. He, he was a, ca- a catcher until one day he kept showing up to work. <laughs> he's like, uh, we got to go. If you look at do. old pictures of like the 60s Indians, you'll see in the back Sandy Elmer standing there. And <laughs> yep, then, there he is, Sandy Elmer. <laughs> he's in black senior. and white. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. But when you look at him, he starts to fade in the picture because you're not supposed yeah. to look the way. Huh. And here, yeah, here's the Indians <laughs> team photo at the Overlook Hotel. Interesting. <laughs> 1920. There's a, Sandy Elmer. Weird. <laughs> he looks the same exact. He's on a bike in the background. He's still yep. riding. What's going on there? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's I have no idea what's wrong with him is a thing. I know they say gastrointestinal issues, so I don't know what the hell. That could be any one of a million things at that point. The gut is a crazy, mysterious land of guts. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, they have three games against Minnesota coming up, and then they they have a that's it's a six game road trip, but it's also the farthest possible road trip you can go you can be on because it's St. Louis and then Kansas City. It's you know it's the furthest afield the team that will travel this year. 
Uh, it's not the longest road trip. That's uh, from Friday, the September 11th to Sunday, September 20th, when they're in Minnesota, Chicago, and Detroit. But that's the thing. Like, if it's just he can't travel, then why does let him heal? I, being the manager isn't. I think that Alomar has shown that it is not a, tr- a super difficult film in terms of making this, the, the the tactical decisions. Right? It's like. I mean, especially when your starting pitcher goes six innings every game. Right. Like, let the, yeah, let the starter go six, and then we'll go Maton, Maton, whatever. I don't know. Uh, Karen Chahan, like, I don't know, whatever. I mean, it's a blot. Here comes uh, Dominic yeah. Leone. So, <laughs> and the Indians are also in the good position of having a bunch of clubhouse leaders, too, because everybody talks about how good um, the. I'd imagine if you needed somebody, like Tito's biggest thing, obviously, if the clubhouse if the clubhouse was a mess, you would want him to come back just to fix it. But like everybody's is good. There's a bunch of leaders. Nobody's upset. So I think Sandy Alomar can just manage the ship as long as he has to. Yeah, and I think this is. I mean, no, we've made jokes over the years about Tito's guys and how that's kind of dragged things down at times uh, because he, you know, he'll play guys that we're like, why, you know, whatever. But those got those guys are also they continue whether on purpose or just by virtue of whatever, carrying the kind of same message that I think Francona has always pushed. And it creates that stability you mentioned within the dugout and within the um, clubhouse. So that's like, those are the things I'm just not worried about. I, I, I'd prefer he just get healthy and whatever, figure it out. Like, I don't know what that means long-term, but I just, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if it would be disruptive or not. I think it would be super cool if he shows up and then you feel sad, I guess, the next time he's not there. But um, again, yeah, uh, Elmer's done a great job, so. All things considered, I don't know. Um, like, what does it mean? Like, ta- ta- talent does all. You know, like look at um, Luke Walton, right? Like, he went thirty nine and one or something like that when he was a man- when he was the head coach of the of the um, fuck uh, Warriors Warriors, <laughs> and then he was trash for the Lakers and then also the Kings. So, like, it helps to have talent, I guess. And. The biggest impact that the manager can have is drawing the lineup. The lineup is pretty much photocopied at this point for the first six spots anyway. And then uh, you only have a few moves you have to make for the for the uh, pitching anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for the questions, especially the microphone. I actually did it this time, so I should check that every time now. Um, our last one we'll finish. This is kind of a fun one just to, to think about. Uh, at Nathan Clyer, he wants to know, what's Indians pitcher is most likely to throw Maddox this season? Obviously, a Maddox um, developed by our own Jason Lucart, who used to run Let's Go Tribe. It's a uh, a shutout and uh, with ninety nine pitches or fewer because that's what Greg Maddox did a ton because he's just so efficient. Um, I, my answer is Aaron Savali. I think I don't think he's the best Indians pitcher, but I think if if he gets on a, a really good game, he could do that more than anybody just because of um, Shane Bieber strikes so many people out. And he's gonna have a high pitch count. Tristan McKenzie, we just don't know what he is, and he, I don't think he's gonna even be allowed to pitch that many throw that many pitches for a while. Um, Clevenger is too wild, but Savali, if he gets a good game and he gets a bunch of weak contact and whatever wizardry he does with the spin rate, I can see him doing it. Um, I would say that, that, that that's the correct answer. I agree. Just because like you said, he, the way he pitches is it in natural induces weak contact. He's look at strikeouts and things like strike, yeah, that's right. uh, strikeouts to a good rate. Uh, but he doesn't, like he pounds the zone to a degree that I don't think anyone else in the Indians does. Like, he literally has the lowest walks per night in, in all of baseball. So that oh, really? helps. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Wow. I just noticed literally <laughs> just now. Uh, so, you know, that's, that helps. Um, but yeah, I would say it's probably Savali just because of the way he pitches. I disagree. I think Bieber could pull it off as well. He almost did the other night. Um, and didn't he? Yeah. So I, it's just, I think if he faces an unusually aggressive team, that's what would help. You know what I mean? Like if they are going after 
uh, his curveball, and they're just you know grounding it to second over and over and over. That could that could certainly help get through a few quick innings. So, yeah. And did you also know Bieber has a hundred percent strand rate still? He almost lost that in his last start, but he still has not. His all of his runs have been on home runs. Like he's not anybody's got on base. They've been screwed. They've been stuck. God, there. he's like a pitcher. I cre- if it weren't for the fact that he wasn't three hundred pounds and six foot nine, <laughs> he's he's like a pitcher that I created in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> Just make the wildest proportions you can do. Oh yeah, I, I make freaks of nature within, our, within <laughs> nine straight Cy Youngs. I'm like, hey, all right, this is realistic. I'm glad I did this. <laughs> this is normal. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Merritt, uh, that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, if you're listening now, iTunes, wherever, uh, leave us a review. Let us know how you think of the podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, visit letsgotribe.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We also have a Discord now. You can find that. Actually, I don't know where you can find that. I should probably put it in our Twitter bio and stuff, but. Um, I post it once in a while on the website. It's a, if you want to know where it is, just ask in the comments, ask on Twitter, whatever. It's a nice way to talk about live Indians baseball. It's fun. It's a little different. But uh, all right, Merritt, I'll talk to you next week. It was a blast. Talk to you then.
Meatball. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.